You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Student Pastor Josh Barnett. Um, We're in Galatians, if you didn't know. (laughs) We're getting close to the end. We're starting chapter 5 tonight. We're going to finish up here in the next few weeks, and I'm really excited about what we're, uh, what me and Tim and Paul are talking about doing after Galatians is over. But uh, we're going to be looking tonight at verses 1 through 12. And so far in Galatians, the Apostle Paul has, he's thoroughly vindicated his apostolic authority. If you remember the Judaizers, were trying to discredit him. They were trying to discredit him being an apostle. They were trying to discredit his authority. And so he right away was, was coming to his own defense, really. But, he, but he, he has, he's vindicated himself there. Um, and he's also given us a full um, description, exposition, exposition um, you know, research paper on what the doctrine of justification is, that we are made right in God's sight by putting our faith in him. And he's, you know, he's given all this. Now in, in chapter 5 and 6, he's going to switch to, okay, now how do you practically apply this to your life? We no longer live under the, under the law. We now live under grace. Okay, now how do, how do you actually walk this out? That's what he's going to switch to and really explain this in the last couple chapters here. And I'm, I'm kind of jealous that, of the verses that Paul gets to do next week. His, this is going to be awesome. So uh, he's going to finish chapter 5 next week. Um, so uh, uh, looking, let's read verse 1. It says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Lots of translations say, which the way I memorized it growing up as a kid, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free is is how um, um, most would quote that. Um, But Jesus came and set us free so that we could be free from the law, that we wouldn't have to walk under these, these heavy burdens of these religious laws um, because nobody can do it on their own strength. It, you know, it, the law was, re- it really just reveals our sin. It reveals our sin nature, but there's no way that any man could walk this out. Now, religion, the spirit of religion continually tries to deceive us into believing that we can live the Christian life in our own strength by keeping certain rules. <clears throat> but I've got news for you tonight, and it's good news. Because trying to live the Christian life on your own strength is too heavy for any person to bear. And the good news tonight is that we can't live the life of freedom that we have in Christ depending on ourselves. But only in the continual, daily, moment by moment, utter and total dependence on the supernatural enabling power of the indwelling spirit of Christ. So we can't do it on our own strength. We can only do it continually, daily, moment by moment, like totally dependent on his supernatural enabling of his spirit on the inside of us. He's the one that causes us to be able to walk this thing out. And if you try to do it on your own, you're going to be miserable because you weren't meant to. He filled you with his spirit so that you now could be free, so that we can enjoy freedom. And Paul's saying, here, don't, like, be sure that you stay free. Don't get tied up again into the law. Like, we're supposed to be able to, to enjoy freedom. And 
as Gentile believers, we've been saved from sin, we've been saved from death, we've been saved from darkness, and, and, and the Judaizers were coming in and trying to tell them, okay, like, yes, Jesus saved you, but now you have to do this, this, and this, and this, and this. And, he, and, and so Paul's saying, you've been saved from sin, don't now become a slave to the law. So he was basically showing, like, you came out of one prison cell, and now you're walking right back into another one. No, you've been set free so that you can enjoy your freedom. Why go back into another prison cell? And it, it's weird, but, it, you know, it, we do, I think we do this a lot. I think a lot of uh, believers do this many times. We, we get caught up in wanting, because we just want to know, like, what exactly to do. Sometimes that's easier. I want, give me the list of rules, and I'm going to completely adhere to them. That's easier. But Paul's saying, don't take that yoke on, because you're trading one prison cell for another. He set you free so that you could be free. Don't, you know, get free and then walk back right back into a, a different prison. You just walked right across the road and saw the freedom that you had to offer, and then, that, and then you just went right back into another prison across the street. Paul's great emphasis in this book is believers' freedom from the law. Now, this doesn't mean that we get to live a lawless life. That's not what this means at all. Genuine spiritual freedom in Christ is not the ability to do what we please. So hear me on that. It's not... Christ set us free, but it's not just so that we can now go and do whatever we want to do. He set us free and gave us the power to do what we ought to do. And in doing so, pleasing God. The Greek word for freedom really actually refers to liberty. But it's, it's liberty, it's not license. We've got to understand that, there, <laughs> that God designed life to work a certain way. And that doesn't mean that we get to, now that we've been free from sin, that we now get to you know, do anything that we want. Deceiving false teachers promise their listeners the freedom to do as they please, but that is not what grace looks like. To the contrary, true grace, true liberty is leaving, living as we should, not living as we please. And we've got to see, church, that living as we should brings freedom. And just doing what you feel like doing just makes you a slave to sin again. God's boundaries, God's law are blessings. Why? Because there's freedom in that. I, when I'm obeying God's law, I don't have to worry about my wife finding out about what I'm looking at. I don't have to worry about my wife worrying, like, I don't have to worry about her finding out about some secret affair that I'm having. Why? Because I'm being obedient to Jesus. And there's freedom in obedience. I don't, you know, if I obey the laws of the land, I don't have to worry about getting arrested. It's wild. But if you're constantly, like, if you're worried about constantly getting arrested, that's not freedom. You're bound. <laughs> and listen, like, Paul is really, he, he's, he's using this vernacular um, that, that a Roman citizen would have understood as, like, one who was purchased from the slave market and now become a citizen. But ju just because you're not a slave doesn't mean that you get to go and do whatever you want. So, so like, you know, if somebody gets free from prison, it doesn't mean that they now get to live however they want to because they're free. Does that make sense? If you go to jail and get out, you don't get to... Listen, you can behave very well in prison. You can. Like, it's easy. You can, if you've been in jail, like you can, you've got, you've got to wake up at a certain time, you've got to go to bed at a certain time, you've got to be in your cell at a certain time, you've got to eat at a certain time, you've got to do exactly what you're told. 
exactly what you're told all the time. There's really no responsibility. But there's no freedom in that. There's no, you don't get to enjoy life. You don't get to enjoy the outdoors. You don't get to enjoy your family. You don't get to enjoy good food. You don't get to enjoy lots of, of the pleasures in life that God has gifted us with. We have a power on the inside of us that empowers us to live the way that we ought to live outside of the prison. <clears throat> James 1.25 says, if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So now with the Holy Spirit, we are able to look at the law and understand what we're supposed to obey. It's no longer that I'm controlled by the law on the outside. The Holy Spirit is now in me and writes the law of God on my heart. What, what is a good indication that the law of God is on your heart? Do you love him and do you love his people? It's Matthew 22, 37 through, through 40. Those are the two greatest commandments. And a tr like, to really understand, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, do you love God and do you love people? That's the law of God being written on your heart. There is freedom, there is joy that comes from obeying him, from being controlled by the Spirit. There's two commands that Paul gives us in verse one here. The first one is stand firm in freedom. So hold tight to it. Don't give up on it. Don't forget about it. Don't forget that you were free, what you were freed from and what you were freed for. So you've been released from prison. You've been released from, we've been released from our sin that, that held us bound, but we've also been freed to now actually go and do something for the kingdom of God. And so Paul's saying stand firm in that freedom. Don't go back into slavery or don't find slavery in something else. And the second thing is he says, refuse the yoke of slavery. So you, he's talking about the yoke of slavery is the law. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus says, come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Why? Because he's carrying the weight. He did the work. And he's now empowering us to walk with him. The Israelites were freed from the yoke of slavery that was put on them by the Egyptians. But because they didn't understand what freedom was, they ended up wanting to go back to Egypt to be slaves again. And so we've got to understand what our freedom is for. You are freed from something for what? To build the kingdom of God. And being a, we, you know, we've got to understand, being a slave, being a prisoner, it carries no responsibility. But it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And now we now get to proclaim freedom to other captives that are bound by something. Now if you get into, now after verse one, you go into the rest of the chapter, he's gonna to begin to talk about the, the, the perils of Christian liberty, like what is trying to come against them. And so let's look at verses two through four. It says, listen, I, Paul, tell you this, if you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again, if you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. That is intense. <laughs> Golly, Paul. <laughs> Paul, in this section of scripture, he gives us four consequences of accepting circumcision. Now, <laughs> the Judaizers, that was one of the big deals because the Jews had to be circumcised. They were circumcised on the eighth day, uh, which I just learned this today. I didn't know this, but... God set it up the eighth day because the, a baby's body doesn't produce vitamin K until it's eight days old. And vitamin K is what causes the blood to clot. 
That's why I never knew why why the eighth day. That's so weird. It was the eighth day. That's why they you know why they did it. But the Jews were now trying to come in and say, okay, you you have declared Jesus your Lord, but now if you're going to be he's going to be your Lord and he's Jewish, you also need to be like us. So we need to circumcise you. Which I would have been like, I'm out. I'm okay. That's what I got to do. Like I'm gone. I, there there there's no way. And you know you th- circumcision. You think about it and. Um, and Gen- I think it's like Genesis chapter 17 when, uh, when God comes to Abraham and f- Abraham's following God at this point, but then God comes and says, I want you to circumcise you and all of your men to, in, in order to uh, make a covenant with me. I would have been like, I'm sorry, what? You want me and my boys to do what? Like, there's no way. And if I'm following Abraham and he came to me and said, hey guys, here's what we're gonna do. Here's what God wants us to do. I'd been like, I'm out, bro. But nice knowing you. It's just, it's wild. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but even, it's, it's, it's almost like the Judaizers didn't understand. See, we understand through Scripture, through Romans, even Galatians, some of what Paul was talking about last week, Abraham wasn't made right with God through his circumcision. That was just a sign of his covenant. Abraham was counted righteous because of his faith. And these Judaizers are coming in and saying, well, you can't be right with God unless you are circumcised. And it's like, Did you, do you guys even read your own Torah? Like, do you even read your own law? It's clear that he, that he was made right because of his faith. But this was really a way of telling them, like, that Jesus was not enough. And, and, and today, I think sometimes we can get caught up in this of, like, we got to add something to him. That you got to get baptized. you got to say a prayer. you got to do good works. And all of those things are awesome. But those are not things that you have to do to be saved. Now, I think many of those things are like a a consequence of being saved, but in no way do those gestures earn you salvation. But by going back under the law, we Christians, we can deprive ourselves of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which Christ made possible through his death and resurrection, and which ministry in which his ministry is not provided for under the law. That's the point that Paul's going to make here. So Paul lists four consequences. If you're taking notes, write these down. Four consequences. The first one is if you're going to go back to circumcision, number one, it renders Christ useless to to them. Okay, so I know we're not talking about being circumcised, but we very easily can get legalistic. And so you just think about what, what, like a legalistic thing that you add to your faith or that you add to God's law to try to earn his favor. You've got to know that is rendering Christ useless to you. And he is, that makes him useless to you because it's Jesus plus nothing. You don't add anything to him. He is enough, and if you're trying to add to what he accomplished, then you're not actually putting your faith in him. Does that make sense? If you're trying to add to what Jesus accomplished, then your faith is not really in him, so he is rendered useless to you. If you put a plus sign or an and next to his name, he's useless to you. And this is, this is what happens when Christians do this. They limit Christ we do this a lot. We can limit Christ to the saving of our souls, but then think that it's our responsibility to keep ourselves saved by doing certain things. And we've got to know that godliness in our lives is nothing more than God's activity in us. It is God himself behaving in and through me. And oftentimes trying to do, do this to-do list to be a Christian is performance, and it's really a sign that you actually haven't submitted your whole life to Jesus. And we quench the Spirit by doing those things. And if you have not entered into this rest, then you submit yourself to outward regulations, which you have put your hope into, 
and hoping that they will make you acceptable before God. So Christ is of no use if you're trying to earn God's love. You cannot earn something that's freely given. It's like he gives it to us and then we're going to try to do things to earn it or to keep it. It's wild. It's, t- it's really saying that God's, the sacrifice of his own son wasn't enough. The second thing, number two, that Paul shows us in verse three is it makes us a debtor to the whole law. But Paul says if you're going to go back to circumcision, you just keep the whole thing, buddy. Because James 2.10 says that if you break one, you break them all. And so he's like, if you're going to add these legalistic things, if you're going to add circumcision, then you got to, then you, buddy, you just better obey all over 600 of them. Man, just, just go through and start reading the, the law in Leviticus one day. Page turner, I'm telling you. But go, go, read, go read the laws and try to think about obeying every single one of those every single day. I feel the weight of it right now just thinking about it. There's just, there's no, absolutely no way. So Paul is showing them it's impossible. The impossibility of this decision that you're going to make, it's impossible to obey the whole, the whole law. The third thing we see in verse four is that, that it severs us from Christ. It severs us from Christ. So he's basically saying if you're accepting salvation from the law, if you're gonna do this, if that's what's going to save you, then you're rejecting the salvation that Christ offers. And we've got to know that legalism doesn't please God, it offends him. Legalism doesn't offend God, d- doesn't please God, it offends him. It doesn't draw him close to us, it actually pushes him away. It tells God, legalism tells God that we don't need him. The underlying principle is if we're trying to justify ourselves before God on the basis of our own works, Paul's saying Jesus has become a stranger to us. And we lose, so what we do is we lose access to his grace. So it's not really that Paul is telling these people that they're losing their salvation, which thank God, because I have erred on the side of being legalistic before. So thank you, Lord, that I don't lose, that it's not like that it doesn't cut me off from Christ. I think everybody in the room has erred on the side of of being legalistic or being lawless. Thank God that doesn't cut me off from Christ. Thank the Lord that his blood speaks a better word than what I do. <laughs> so it's not that they're, they're losing their salvation, but you do lose access to that transforming power of grace in your life. <clears throat> and it's little wonder why legalistic believers are miserable and why they live frequently in failure to defeat their sin. It's because they're trying to do it in their own strength. Because you're not empowered by his grace, you're trying to do it on your own. For a believer to start living again under the law is in fact to reject salvation by grace. Uh, let's see. If you're trying to be justified by the law, we alienate ourselves from Christ. We go back to the law for justification and sanctification and we say that Christ's work on the cross is unnecessary and is of no value and that the work of the spirit is useless. So we have to know an attitude of self-effort by our works alienates us from Jesus. And the fourth thing, kind of similar to that one, but the fourth thing is it's a fall from grace. It's a fall from grace. He doesn't say it's a fall from salvation. He says that you have fallen from grace and there is a difference. So Paul's not saying that genuine believers lose their salvation. The idea is that we have fallen out of the sphere of grace because grace is not a license to sin. It's the empowerment to overcome. 
And so whenever we try to do it on our own, what we do is we step outside of that grace. We step outside of that power that God will give us because we have to know that you cannot mix the law and grace. So the Galatians didn't, they weren't losing eternal life. Paul is talking about, he's trying to show that law and grace are, they're diametrically opposed to one another. When someone chooses the legalistic lifestyle, they've fallen from the lifestyle of grace and its benefits. And th- listen, I know this messes with people because you can get into like the once saved, always saved stuff. And I know this, you know, we'll probably divide right down in the middle. And if we start talking about it in here, there might be a fist fight. Um, but I, I want to say this tonight. It is possible for a believer to fall from grace, but it is impossible for a believer to fall from sonship. See, and that look like that, it gets quiet in here. He's like, I don't know if I believe that. Okay, turn to John chapter 10. <laughs> I like saying things that mess with people. I like to be controversial, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> I, we were backstage praying tonight, and Colton was praying that the words that I spoke tonight would be like honey in our ears. And I was like, sometimes it's like a bee carrying that honey in there, and it's going to sting them before it actually brings them anything. So God bless you. Uh, John chapter 10 verse 27 says my sheep listen to my voice I know them and they follow me I give them eternal life and they will never perish no one can snatch them away from me for my father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else no one can snatch them from my father's hand Mm. interesting (laughs) I'm going to say this again It is possible for a believer to fall from grace, but it is not possible for a believer to fall from sonship. If the believer is truly born into the family of God, if he is truly a son of God through the application of the blood of Jesus, God saves us through the power of his blood. It covers us and nothing can take us out of that power. Nothing can take away that blood. By going back under the law, we as Christians, we fall from grace. We don't lose our salvation. They were just, <laughs> the word, uh, you know, if you, the word fallen here really means to like lose a hold on. It indicates that they're saved, but they've lost their hold on grace. And really, so I'll say this, it's, it's and I don't have time to go into all this. I, golly, I have eight minutes left. Um, it's Romans 7 and 8. At the end of Romans 7, you have Paul go into like this schizophrenic mode where he's like, I do what I don't want to do. I, I do what I hate. I can't do what I want to do. And he goes into all this stuff. The, you understand, the Apostle Paul didn't struggle with sin. A lot of, I've heard a lot of people say like, well, see, Paul struggled, so I'm going to struggle too. The Apostle Paul was not having a struggle with sin problem in Romans 7. What he is trying to show us is this is what a believer's life looks like when he tries to live under the law. And then you go into Romans 8, and that is the believer's life when he is living under the Spirit. Because Paul goes through that whole deal at the end of chapter 7, and he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from myself? Thanks be to God, Christ Jesus. And then Romans 8 begins with, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. And so he's not talking about struggling with sin. He's talking about a believer who is trying to live the Christian life apart from Jesus. You can't do it. You're going to be a miserable wretch. But thank goodness Jesus brought me out of that. And now you read Romans 8. He has filled me with his spirit. 
and I'm no longer held captive by my sin. You've been saved from your sin. You've been sa- the power of sin is broken on your life. There is freedom that is available through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what Paul is saying in Romans 7 and Romans 8. All right, we've got to move on. Uh, verse 5 and 6 says, For we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. So the contrast here is that we live by faith, not by our flesh. And we, but we've got to know that faith is more than just a mental agreement it's a trust in what God is persuading us to do. Faith, the, the word for faith is not just believing. It's like believing married with action. It's married with works. It's like the, the word for faith is like God has persuaded me to do something that I'm currently doing. That's what faith is. It's by faith. It's a work of the Spirit. Philippians 2.13 says God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So the Holy Spirit is the one who shapes our behavior. The Christian life is meant to be lived by the power of another. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do that. And in verse, verse 5, he says that we eagerly wait by faith to receive the righteousness that God has promised to us. So it's, it, we're, we're in a state of rest, not a state of working. He doesn't say we work to receive that. He says we wait to receive that. And waiting, waiting is like it, it's a position of confidence of like he's got me. And he's going to empower me to walk out this righteousness. Life in the Spirit is not static. It's not inactive. It's faith working through love, not faith working through self-effort. Ephesians 2.10 says we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for beforehand that we should walk in them. But their working, our working is a product of our faith. It's not a substitute for it. We... Our faith works through love. Working is like it's a continual activity. Saving, saving faith, and you can go into James chapter 2 and look at all this, but faith and works are married together, and say, genuine saving faith is always characterized by works of love. Genuine saving faith is always characterized by works of love, and if there are no works of love, your faith is dead. If there are no works of love, there, are, there, there is no salvation. Salvation is by faith, but genuine faith is marked by supernatural works of love. <clears throat> okay, and you go down to uh, chapter, or you go down to verse 7 through 12, we'll read all these together and we'll close it out. You are running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads to the whole batch of dough. I am trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say that I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. I just wish, all right, if you think I say something harsh, just read the Bible. I, w- I don't know if I would ever say this. Paul said, I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. Anybody ever heard Josh Barnett tell somebody to harm themselves from stage? Not me, but the Apostle Paul said it, all right? So (laughs) you think sometimes some preachers are off the rails. It's because we read the Bible. Sorry, sorry. 
<laughs> well, I, I love in verse 7, Paul, Paul is saying, you were running so well, like what happened? What happened? Like the gun went off, you started the race, you were in your lane, you were running with the Spirit. What happened? And, and this is the life of many believers. We see, you see lots of people start well and few finish well. Now, the reason a lot of believers start well is because they start being empowered by the Holy Spirit, and then, either through religion or through somebody putting some legalism on them or somebody not presenting, you know, not discipling them or just our inherent nature, people start trying to live the Christian life on their own strength, and they, and they, they find out it's too hard. But it's because they were never meant to do it on their own. And so they fall away. So this is not something that just happened to the Galatians. This happens to believers today. But I, I love he says, uh, who has held you back from following the truth? It's not just like a what happened, it's a who happened. <laughs> who did you allow into your lane? Who did you allow to influence you? And this is something that we need to take into account in our own life. What voices do we listen to? What do we allow to influence us? We have to be so careful at who we allow to influence us. What voices we allow to speak into our life. We have to know that we. We've got to know Jesus, we've got to know the gospel, we've got to know the Bible so well that we recognize false teaching. You've got to know this. You've got to know him so that when crazy man-made theories and ideologies and things come and, and, and try, because the devil's not dumb. He's going to come and he's, it's, it, it, Paul says in verse 9, it's leaven. It's a little bit. It only takes a little leaven to make dough rise. just takes a little bit of yeast to make dough rise. It permeates the whole thing. And so the devil will come, and it's just a small inch off of what's truth. But if it's not, if it's a, if it's not all truth, it's not it's a lie. But we've got to be sure that we know, so that we we don't get take, taken captive by false ideologies. And Paul's so Paul's asking, like, who did this? Who is what's this leaven? And you go in verse eight. Uh, verse 8 and verse 9, the first thing he says in verse 8 is don't blame God. It didn't come from him. If you knew his word, you wouldn't have gotten off like this. And <laughs> so many people, um, so many people like to use this, uh, but I love verse 8. It is certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you into freedom. But so many people try to use the God told me so. God told me to do it. When really it's just flesh. We use God as a scapegoat. But verse 9, a little leaven spoils the whole dough. We've got to know that... Um, Paul is attacking this so much because it's going to slowly, it's not just, what's dangerous about leaven is like it's not just going to affect one individual. It's going to affect a lot of people. And so that's why false teaching has to be dealt with. That's why false teachers have to be dealt with in the church. That's why wolves have to be dealt with. That's why there's still such thing as church discipline. Because a little leaven will spoil the whole batch. There are several leavens that have slowly destroyed not just the lives of individual believers, but entire congregations, and now entire denominations. And Paul is trying to cut it off fast before it messes up the whole church. In the last part, verses 10 through 12, notice in verse 10, <clears throat> I love this part. Verse 10, he says, I am trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. Notice he's not putting his trust in that person. He's not putting his trust in the Galatians. He's putting trust in the Lord. I'm putting my trust that he is going to bring you back around. To lead them back to truth. We've got to know tonight, 
and I want to say this, church, if you know somebody who has gotten off a little bit or who is, you know, bought into this deconstructive progressive Christianity or somebody who's buying into this, this CRT stuff, and there's all kind of leavens right now that are infiltrating the church, um, put your faith in the Lord. Put your trust in the Lord. Just like Paul said here, I'm putting my trust in the Lord that he's not going to let you continue into this false teaching. Put your trust in the Lord and understand that he is faithful and just to complete the work that he started. Seeds have been sown. Put your faith in him that he will bring those people back around. That's a good point, Josh. Thank you for that. <clears throat> maybe, maybe y'all don't know anybody that's gotten off, but I do. And, I'm, and my heart hurts for him. And I want to put my faith and my trust in the Lord to believe that those seeds, that somebody's going to come along and water them and fruit's going to begin to produce. No, his words don't return void. All of his promises are yes, yes and amen. And the Lord is faithful even when we are not faithful. Put your trust in him to bring them back around. We must trust him to bring our loved ones back. Only the Holy Spirit can draw the heart of man. So don't beat yourself up because somebody got off. The Holy Spirit is the one that draws the heart of man, the spirit of truth. Don't play the blame game of what, you know, even parents in here, what could I have done different? Don't play the blame game. You put your faith and trust in the Lord. He is the one that draws the heart of all people. You're not the Savior. He is. Thank you, Mason. And then you, you come at the very end here, and uh, he's basically saying, like, uh, so they were trying to say, the Judaizers were trying to say that Paul was still preaching circumcision and he's like, I'm not preaching what they're preaching because I'm being persecuted for it. If I, if I was preaching what they were preaching, they wouldn't try to discredit me. We've got to understand, if we preach the real gospel, we preach the real Bible, it's offensive to people. There are people who are going to be offended by it. Persecution is promised to his bride. We will share in his suffering. But let me say, we were singing that song earlier, like when we was talking about sharing in his suffering, Oh, just to know you and your suffering, there is a grace that comes from the Holy Spirit that is only experienced when you're persecuted for him. And you feel closer to him than you feel in any other moment. Anybody who's ever faced persecution in the room from family or from enemies or from whoever because of your faith in Jesus Christ, there is a comforter that comes and he brings a peace that passes all understanding and he brings a joy that is unexplainable. And so know that if you're truly living this thing out, people are going to come against you persecution is going to happen. People are going to be offended by your life. If you're the most loving person on the planet, people are going to be offended by you. And even so, like this gospel that we believe, it's offensive to your mind. It doesn't make sense. What makes sense is that I work and achieve success and I work my way up the ladder, but that's not the way that it works in the kingdom. If you wanna be first, you gotta be last. Right? The kingdom works backwards. Jesus, like this thing's, like his grace literally doesn't make sense to me. That he would trade my sin for his righteousness. What? That I've been completely forgiven and nothing that I could, nothing that I could do. But, but see, but we, we get caught up in the, in the leaven of the way that the world works. Like you broke the law, you go to jail. I broke his law, he forgave me. I'm sorry, what? It doesn't seem, it doesn't seem right. It, it even offends my mind. And then the last, the last part, verse 12. 
<laughs> Verse 12 is wild. Paul <laughs> talks about them mutilating themselves, masculating themselves. He basically says that if, if, he, if they want y'all to be circumcised, I really wish they would just emasculate themselves. I wish they would be, they would be cut off completely. Or really, like, he's basically saying, I wish they would become eunuchs, which is crazy. But there, around this time, there were different cults, there were different ways that people worship, and a priest had to be a eunuch in different areas of worship uh, of, of these false gods. And Paul's basically saying, they might as well go all the way because they're not really following the God that we're following. And so they might as well go all the way and just cut everything off. It's wild. It's harsh. But he's, he's harsh for a reason. <laughs> he's harsh for a reason. There are souls at stake. And the gospel was being undermined. And so Paul was not, remember, this is like an emergency letter. There was no time to be polite or to be nice. <laughs> it was time for the sword of the Spirit. And he was swinging for blood. <laughs> they were leading people to hell by their perverted message. And so that is why Paul uses such strong language here. I'm going to end with a, a Charles Spurgeon quote. He says, Ah, believer, it is safer always for you to be led of the Spirit into the gospel liberty than to wear legal fetters. Judge yourself at what Christ is rather than what you are. Satan will try to mar your peace by reminding you of your sinfulness and imperfections. You can only meet his accusations by faithfully adhering to the gospel and refusing to wear the yoke of bondage. Y'all stand with me. Um, I, I just want to read this to you. Um, this is something that, I know we're past time, but this is something that uh, a theologian wrote um, through study in Galatians, and I just thought it was, it was amazing, and I, and I wanted us to stand because I just want this to be like, Let's just think about Jesus and let's just worship him because of this right here. It says, the law prohibits, but grace invites and gives. The law condemns the sinner, but grace redeems the sinner. The law says do, grace says it is done. The law says continue to be holy, while grace says it is finished. The law curses and grace blesses. The law slays the sinner and grace makes the sinner alive. The law shuts every mouth before God. Grace opens the mouth to praise God. Law condemns the best man while grace saves the worst man. Law says pay what you owe. Grace says I freely forgive you all. The law says the wages of sin is death. Grace says the gift of God is eternal life. The law says the soul that sinneth shall die. Grace says believe and live. The law reveals sin. Grace atones for sin. By the law is the knowledge of sin. By grace his redemption from sin. The law was given by, by Moses, and grace and truth came by Jesus. The law demands obedience. Grace bestows and gives power to obey. The law was written on stone. Grace is written on the tables of the heart. The law was done away with in Christ. Grace abides forever. The law puts us under bondage. Grace sets us in the liberty of the sons of God. I want to tell you tonight that it's the goodness of God that leadeth men into repentance. And so oftentimes you, get, you dive into a Galatian study and that sounds too good to be true or that messes with the religion on the inside of you. But I want you to know tonight that, that you, if you've put your faith and belief in Jesus Christ, you're saved. And there's nothing that you can do about it. You are saved. He has marked you. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. And it's not because of anything that you've done. It's all because of what he did. And it is finished. And the Father right now sees everyone in this room like he sees Jesus. 
And he loves you. John, this is John 17. He loves you like he loves Jesus. And when you get that revelation, sin no longer seems appealing. When you get the revelation of how good his grace is, that it is too good to be true, when you get how good his grace is, you no longer want to sin anymore. You want to get as close to him as possible. And why are we talking about this tonight? Like, duh, like I know all this, Josh. It's because we so easily forget and we begin to walk at, we begin to step away from the secret place. Circumcision was always weird, always seemed weird to me. Why would God make a covenant with a people in a place that nobody could see? It's because it was a shadow of what was to come. Because now God circumcises our heart. But I want to say this, when you go into the secret place with him, and you honor him with your life when it's just you and him, a circumcision of your spirit and your soul and your mind and your heart and your flesh begin to take place. And if you will honor him in the if you will honor him in a private place, he will honor you in the public place. If you will go in a secret place with him and you make covenant with him, he will give, begin to empower you to live this thing out in a public place. Does that make sense? Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for all these people. I thank you so much for our church. I thank you so much for Jesus. God, I thank you so much that you saved the worst of men. I thank you so much, Lord, that even when we say that we don't want you, and when we worship ourselves and we worship our stuff, you still come in your furious love. You still come in your grace. You come in your, you come in your wrath, and you come to destroy all those things that's trying to separate us from you. God, I'm so grateful for your grace. So grateful that it's for freedom that you set us free. And now we get to walk in a free, easy, abundant, blessed life, Lord. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would continue to do the work that you started in this church. Lord, we believe that you're faithful and you're just. And God, we call all the ones who have left this place offended, who have left this place hurt, who have left this place confused. God, we call them home. We put our faith in you that you're going to bring them home, Lord. Lord, forgive us for the times that we have blown it, for the times that we've messed up, for the times that we've said the wrong thing or said the right thing the wrong way, Lord. Lord, I know the heart and the foundation and the ministry of this church, Lord. We just we want to reach people. We want to reach families. We want to reach moms and dads and kids. We want to reach the next generation, Lord. We want people to experience this great love and this great freedom that we have. The Holy Spirit, we come against strongholds right now in the city of Hot Springs and, and up and down Highway 7 here. We come against strongholds right now and we tear them down in Jesus' name. We rip them down right now in Jesus' name. Come on, church, pray. Let's do some warfare for just a minute. God, we bring them down in Jesus' name. We, we tear down the stronghold of, of, of of new ageisms and, and witchcraft and bondage that's in hot springs and the spirit of lasciviousness and the spirit of Jezebel and the spirit of lust, God, the spirit, uh, the spirit of pride that's sweeping across our nation right now. Lord, we tear down those strongholds in Jesus' name. All of those things that set themselves up against you, Lord, all those things that set themselves up against your cross. Lord, you have the final word. You have the final say. And at your name, everything has to bow. Your name, everything has to bow.
Holy Spirit, we ask for a move. We ask for a move in this church. We ask for a move in, in Jesseville, in Fountain Lake, and Mountain Pine areas, Lord, all of North Hot Springs area and, and Hot Springs Village and, and, and into the city of Hot Springs. We ask for a move of your spirit, Lord. We ask for a move of your spirit, Lord. We ask that you would begin to stir up a well of revival in this place, God. We ask that you would come and move, God, that you would draw the hearts of men to you, that you would draw the hearts of women to you, that you would draw the hearts of children to you. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for tonight. Fill us with your strength as we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You have been listening to the CMC podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.